Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hardity. Accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon. Brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Calls. Calling us calls made. Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas raised hunting products. The Scent Gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com. The Hunter Conservation Website. One of the people whose time I really enjoy spending with, <laughs> I guess that's one way of saying it, is Billy Kinder. Billy, uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing you now for a while, and I've had the pleasure of working with you. I've had the pleasure of being on some of the radio shows that you've done. And very recently, you started with a new network. Yeah, I sure did. And I'll, I'll just tell you right off the bat, Larry, that the, the pleasure has been mine in this relationship. Well, you're very kind. What a blessing it's been to, uh, to me. Uh, to uh, to you know gain from your wisdom throughout the years, and then you've been so kind to lend yourself to to the radio show throughout the years, and and I greatly appreciate it. And I'm honored to be there. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, we we uh, have uh, made the move over to uh, RFD Rural Radio. That's channel 147 on Sirius XM, and we're tickled to be there. Uh, that's not only an audience that uh, we would appeal to with with hunting, fishing, conservation, outdoors. That rural crowd surely does understand, farmers and ranchers understand conservation and the importance of it. Uh, So we've got an important message there. But not only that, but that's how I grew up out in Palo Pinto County, Texas. You know, that's, I feel more at home there. So we're tickled to be on, on RFD and rural radio. I think it's an absolutely great place because there is a huge audience there as far as I'm concerned. And again, a lot of people do understand about conservation because of their background in farming and ranching and all those kind of things. But I think there's a growing 
listenership, I guess I should say, as opposed yeah. to viewership, that's coming on to RFD because now all of a sudden they're realizing that that maybe food doesn't necessarily come from a grocery store. Exactly. Maybe, maybe that meat that they were eating doesn't come from that meat counter or the vegetables. And so they're trying to learn a little bit more in terms of uh, how to produce some of the things. So they're coming along those lines too. Yeah. But that brings in a perfect opportunity to do hunting and fishing. From what I understand, hunting and fishing licenses in a lot of the states at this point in time compared to other years are on the increase. I was just reading <clears throat> yesterday that in the state of Wyoming, non-residents in the lottery uh, for the lottery hunts are down a little bit because uh, the lottery came out during the peak of COVID and people didn't know if they were going to be able to travel or not. Right. But resident uh, hunters, there's people hunting in Wyoming that haven't picked up a gun, a rifle, a bow in decades. And everybody's up there trying to get a tag and go hunting now. And it's it's great to see. I was out on one of my favorite crappie holes. I was hoping you're going to bring up <laughs> this gentleman right here that I'm visiting with is 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 an ace when it comes to crappie fishing. But he is there are no superlatives that, or adjectives superlatives that you can add when it comes to when it comes to frying crappie because. Billy is the best there is, as far as I'm concerned. So I want to get into that a little bit. I eat them better than I fry them. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I went to one of my favorite crappie holes here two or three weeks ago. And I've got a, you know, this time of year, they're deep. They're down there where it's a little cooler, 18 yep. to 22 foot, something like that. And in this particular lake, I know where a bunch of old bodark trees are that you can't see above the surface. You have to know where they are. And I've got them marked. And those are my, quote, secret holes. This year's different. Every one of my secret holes that I went to had at least two boats on it, and some of them five boats, uh, because fishing numbers are up. Typical year, I go out on a Tuesday or a Thursday. Right. There might be three or four other boats on the lake, uh, and now there's two or three boats on all my fishing holes. So oh my gracious, <laughs> that's that's frustrating a little bit, but it's also encouraging as yeah, well. Yeah, and the encouragement outweighs the frustration. So. I just loaded my boat and went to another secret hole a little further down the road and made out okay down there. Had a nice day. Why Bodark trees? And I Bodark, think I know the answer, but I, I want to hear it from you. Well, you know, I know you know the answer to this because that Bodark wood is harder than my head. You know, that's the hardest wood on planet Earth, that old Bodark tree. And so it makes great fish habitat. You know, a pine tree, if you flood an area full of pines, those, those pines are going to rot out pretty quick. But that old boat arc is going to be there long after we're gone and our grandkids are gone. It, it, it just doesn't rot. It, 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 it pretty it, much petrifies it, down it, there. It seems to do that, and it does that as well, too. Our, our family property, the, the part of that property, some of it was earlier, but some of it was in 1876. And whatever great-great-granddad that set corner post, they were made out of boat arc. Yeah. And they're still there. Yeah. Isn't that so, I mean, something? it's absolutely amazing. I, I'm tempted to pull them out and, you know, cut them up and use them for all kinds of different things. But then at the same time, I think it's kind of cool that they're still there. Yeah. Of. I wonder how they ever got a nail in that old boat arc back then. Actually, they really didn't. They just wrapped things wrapped around. around. <laughs> <laughs> wrapped and stretched. Because you'll bend every nail or every staple that you were trying to put in there. I <laughs> uh, but, but that is the really good upside, I guess, to this COVID deal. Yeah. Yes, sir. Boat sails are through the roof. Fishing poles are flying out the door like crazy. And, and I think we're going to see that this fall, too. And you're right. People that listen to, to rural radio RFD, they want to know how to plant a tomato. 
and there I'm hearing from people that want to know uh, how to shoot a bow, how to harvest an animal and put it on the table. Is it really that difficult? It's not. No, it's not it really. There, it's there, not. People think there's a great mystery to what we do with a white-tailed deer, but it's really it's not. It, it's actually actually very simple and very basic, but you have to know those basics. Yeah. If you come into it where most of your meats come out of a cellophane wrapper type of thing in the past yeah. or, or a piece of paper, I guess it could be a little bit undaunting to think, how am I, okay, I got the animal down, how am I going to take this animal apart now to where I yeah. get it on the table for my family? Exactly, yeah, and, and it's just refreshing to see more and more people uh, with that hunger. And, you know, there's just something inside of them and I believe an anti-hunter is this way too. There's something that tugs inside them that God put in them. He made us predators. Yes. He put us at the top of the food chain. It's created in us. And to fight against that and kick against that just doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't. When you think right down to it, our ancestry, the reason we're here and our ancestors survived is because they were good hunters. Yeah. Had they not been good hunters, they would have starved to death over a period of time. So whether you like it or not, you're, you know, you were descended from a line of yeah. of some extremely good hunters because otherwise probably wouldn't be here. Kind of thing. exactly. Let me ask you this <clears throat> because it's been asked of me at least four or five times since since COVID nineteen kicked in and and all of this. This statement has been made to me by various people, and I want to wonder if people have told you this. Hey, no matter how bad it gets, your family will eat, Kinder, because you're a hunter. Have people told you that? Absolutely. Yeah. They have. They have. We, we go back to a long line of hunting and, and also being able to provide not only for my family, but other families around us as well, yeah. too. And there are several of those families that are kind of looking my way right now and says, uh, when does this first deer season start? <laughs> we're, we really don't have a whole lot of good meat right, right. now. So right. absolutely, yes, sir. They look at us and go... If that times really get hard, we know you can hunt, we know that you can fish, and we know that you can put food on the table. And exactly. hopefully you'll look at us and go, we'll try to find something we can do to help you to yeah. make this work. For exactly. You, kind of you betcha. And you got to be careful and read the rule book right. You mentioned when does this uh, first deer season start. Uh, some of those old boys in Palapena County never <laughs> learned how to read. I'm sure you've run in some of those. Uh, I, I, I spent a fair amount of time in Palapena <laughs> County years ago with the, with the game warden and spent many a night there at night uh, yeah. looking for some of those folks that had kind of forgotten to check the rules and regulations. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, uh, those kind of things happened even back then, I guess. Yeah, you know, they, okay, hopefully, we these days, I think there's a change over. People are starting to realize how important yeah. game is or wildlife is. And... and I actually think, for the most part, probably in the states, the poaching level is down. And as we get more participants in the outdoors, we'll kind of police ourselves even a little bit closer. I Absolutely, think. yeah. Hunters and poachers are two different critters. There's, they're, there's diametrically opposed, yeah. is what it is. Poachers are not hunters. Hunters enjoy the work that goes into the hunt, and uh, and there's nothing that disgusts us more than a poacher that uh, that gives us a bad name and gives hunting and taking animals a bad name. Billy, you touched a little bit on some of the things that you have on your show that you do in your show. What are some of the other things that you touch on? Well, uh, we try to, to bring some of the very best at what they do. I don't try to be a master of all. Uh, uh, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not very smart. And so if I want to talk about big game, I go talk to a biologist 
a uh, guy who's hunted whitetails and hunted Africa and hunted around the globe all of his life, Larry Wysoon. If, <laughs> got, very if I need an answer there, <clears throat> that's where I go. If I want to train a bird dog, I, boy, my history there is pretty extensive, and I had a little success. But, boy, Tom Dockin up in Minnesota has seen every situation there is training a bird dog. Ronnie Smith in Oklahoma, some of these guys. So I lean on them. we got a great staff of pros. Gary Klein has qualified for 30 Bassmaster Classics. Oh, my gosh. He's one of the founding. He and Boy Duckett founded Major League Fishing. So he and, and uh, Kelly Jordan from Major League Fishing are, are bass fishing pros. So we lean on some real smart guys in different departments. Uh, <clears throat> and we try not to get above anybody's head because, like we've been talking about, even before COVID, there is a hunger to, to learn this stuff. Yes, sir. So we we try not to talk over anybody's head that that wants to learn how to crate train their puppy. Doesn't have to be a bird dog, but they want to learn how to crate train properly. Then then we start right there. So uh, it's just the basics, Larry. The stuff you and I have done and talked about all of our lives, and and sharing it with with new ears. I, I've often told people that in certain stages of my career, I made a living of teaching people what they already knew. Yep. And it's just a reminder sometimes. But, I mean, when you get into the bird dog thing, that's a little bit different. I've, I've owned bird yeah. dogs in the past. I don't own, own any dogs now because I travel too much. Yeah. I can't take care of them. And I don't want to put a dog in a kennel and then walk right. away from them. Because as much as I love to hunt, if somebody did that to me, I would not be very happy. Yeah. But tell me a little bit. You've been into bird dog. Tell me which bird dogs you've been into. Which what particular breeds that you like? Well, yeah. I started years ago with a, with a, a pointer that taught me how to hunt quail. That, it was a broke dog that taught me how to hunt quail. That was, my goodness, 30 years ago longer. and uh, about, about, about three months ago. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it. Uh, so I've had a lot of pointers through the years. I uh, got into the setters a little later on. One of the finest bird dogs I've ever hunted behind, period, was a, a setter that I had that uh, would look me in the eye and look for direction on what to do. And, and uh, after so many years, we just read each other. Um, and then I, I got into the Britneys. I was running in a field trial. We had a national championship up at Amo, Indiana, and a fellow out of uh, North Carolina, Nolan Huffman, <clears throat> was there with his dog, Buddy. And old Buddy was the winningest bird dog in in NSTRA, National Shoot to Retrieve Association history, uh, and he was a Brittany. And uh, I'd heard about all that he was doing in the field trial world, and I said, I've got to go see this dog in action. So he was running one morning, and I made it a point to be in the gallery to watch old Buddy, and, and Nolan that morning, Buddy came in and pointed a, a quail. These are placed birds, of course, in a field right. trial. Nolan came in and flushed that bird intentionally over a goat wire fence and killed it on the other side of the fence. And I said, he's going to lose his score on his retrieve. But he was pumping that retrieve score up because he knew <laughs> that old buddy would climb that fence and get that bird and climb over and come back. And that's the day I decided I needed some Brittany blood in my kennel. I love, and, I love that. And so I went to the Brittany's uh, years ago almost exclusively and have had a lot of success and a lot of fun with them. Color preference on Britneys? Yeah, uh, on all my dogs. It doesn't matter the breed. I've always, uh, if I was in on a particular breeding, I'd always tell the breeder or whoever owned the, the female that I want the whitest dog in the litter because I believe they run a little bit cooler in this Texas heat. I don't think they'll gather as much, excellent, store as much heat. Excellent, excellent point. Now, I don't know if it 
pays no, off it, that much or not, but it, it makes sense when that, you think about that's it. That's why I've always done it. I've been, I've, I don't get a chance to do a lot of bird hunting anymore, but when I've been out with somebody, it all, now that you mentioned it, it always seemed like the darker colored dogs or the, had more dark hair than white hair. Yeah. They had a tendency to have their tongue lolling out for a lot longer and a lot quicker. It, exactly. Kind of exactly. Yeah. And, Interesting. And, uh, and even in the, in the uh, wintertime in Texas, and you know all about this. Wintertime in Texas, out in West Texas, I've got a place out there near Post, uh, not too far from Lubbock, where I've hunted for oh, close to 25 years. And and you can be out there on a January day, and it'll be 88 degrees. <laughs> yes, it And is. that's not uncommon. No, but it could also be the reverse. It could be, it it could be 8 degrees. 8 degrees with the wind blowing like crazy. You bet, yeah. So I've always cut all the hair off. My dogs yes, kept sir. them real short. Yes, sir. Because I keep them in good warm boxes. I, I right. don't skimp on taking care of my dogs. Uh, and then when I turn them loose to hunt, if they've got a ton of hair, they're going to run hot. And and so I've always, even in the in the dead of winter, I've always knocked all the hair off those Britneys and Setters, those long-haired dogs, uh, just to help them cool. They can't sweat. And believe me, on an eight-degree day, after they've run about 14 miles, they'll jump in that pond <laughs> and take a good long swim. I'll bet they will. <laughs> <laughs> when do you generally start your dogs? You, you mentioned puppies. Yeah. So. Uh, from the day I get my hands on them, there's just so many things we can do with a little bitty puppy. Uh, the first thing you have to do is win their heart. You have to make a hunting partner for life. And that means you tuck them in your coat pocket and you take them to the post office and the convenience store and you humanize and socialize and everywhere you go that little puppy goes and every one you see especially the females are going to say oh my goodness look at that beautiful puppy and they're going to put their hands on him and and they don't realize it but you're training they're, they're helping you train your dog humanize socialize and then we just have fun we we have fun for the first year uh just take them with you everywhere and then i kind of start you read your dog Mm -hmm. uh, and they'll let you know when they're ready for you to apply a little learning pressure. Uh, but that's never typically before a year old for me. Some guys like to start earlier than that. Uh, but at a year old, I start applying a little pressure, see where they are. And as they grow and mature, uh, then I can add a little more pressure and we can learn a little bit more and advance on down the road, get all of our yard work done, uh, which, <clears throat> you know, you can, you can get that done in two to four months. And then get them out there, start killing some birds over them, and, and have a little fun and take it on down the road. It's, there's nothing more satisfying to me than taking a puppy and training that dog myself and investing my time in that dog and his time in me and then going out and hunting together. It's so satisfying. Or winning a field trial with that little old dog. You know, that's, that's a lot of fun. That's like the guy that ties his own flies or carves his own crankbaits out of balsa wood or whatever and then catches that that fish with him it's it feels mighty good to me there i grew up around hounds yeah. hounds primarily and, and we did not do a whole lot of uh bird hunting at all and when we did really didn't use retrievers or anything else like that but I, growing up i got an appreciation for good dogs for yeah. hounds i love to listen to them to this day but uh the, the training becomes very important, as you just mentioned, and that humanizing thing. It, yeah. It's a mutual respect, among other things. It's a partnership. The, it's a partnership. It really is. Yeah. And one thing that I can't stress enough, <clears throat> Larry, is to if you're looking for a puppy, look. Don't don't grab the first cute puppy that comes along. 
look at uh, pedigrees. Look at the background, the mama and the daddy. If you're wanting a field trial dog, make sure there's success on both sides there and a history, several generations of success. Uh, or a wild bird, uh, hang around some field trials, talk to some people, learn about some different breeds, learn about uh, different uh, breedings and, and parents and heritage because that's a big deal because once you take that puppy home for the next 9 to 15 years, that's your dog. Good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> If he can't smell supper, he's still your bird dog. <laughs> you, you still your bird dog. You're so, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had to, to bury a lot of them over the years. Yes, sir. But but I had them till the end, and some of them I was hating to see to go more than others. You know, I, I can understand that. They're not all world champions. No, they're not. They're not. But you love them all. Absolutely, you do. As you're talking, I'm thinking about some of that country. I used to live in Abilene as wildlife biologist. And, for a while, I was hunting with a friend of mine. He just bought what was supposedly the best pointer ever. Well, we hit a stretch of where really cold weather, snow and ice on the ground. We decided to go quail hunting, and the dog's name was Luke. And Luke was absolutely fantastic on pointing. Huh. He was absolutely fantastic on retrieving birds. Yeah. And he would come right back to you, and just as you were reaching down to grab that bird, he would swallow it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we watched that bird. We watched that dog fall up six yeah. quail that morning. Where are they all? Went? I can't imagine him doing it. It's hard. It's hard to break that habit too. It's just real hard to to break it. But boy, there's nothing prettier than a setter on point with that head and tail high and those feathers, those feathers on the tail. Yeah. You know, blowing in the wind and. Uh, you remember Ray Sasser that wrote uh, for I remember the, Ray very well. Dallas yes, Morning News for years and years yes, and years. He used to call it smoking the pipe. Smoking the pipe. When that old setter, you know, he's got his head up high, and you've seen them do it. They take that scent in in, the, in their nose, and then they'll, it comes back out their yeah. mouth, yes, and sir. their jowls ex exhale yes, and sir. puff like smoke, like a pipe smoker. And, uh, boy, that's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. <laughs> that is. I, like I said, I don't do a whole lot of bird hunting, and I don't do a whole lot of shotgun shooting. Yeah. But I love watching dogs work, and I've got some friends farther south of where I live that've got some pretty good dogs. And yeah. I'll carry my over-under shotgun or side-by-side -side shotgun and nary a shell. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all it's all just to, I really enjoy watching those dogs work. Absolutely. You bet. Yeah, it's one of the finest... Uh, outdoor experiences I've, I've ever had there you know we love it all yes we do but there are a few things like little crappie thumping that jig <laughs> there there are some instances in life that are that we just really appreciate billy over the years i know you've run into numerous characters that oh, yeah. uh, particularly in some of the interviews and, and just out on your own without having a recording device of any kind. Yeah. Anyone that comes to mind that's very special, or even if you don't want to mention the person's name, but something that's really well, particularly You special. probably know this old boy, Barefoot Bob, they call him. Barefoot you know, Bob. I forgot. You remember Bob? Yes, I do. Richardson? Yes. I wanted to interview him for the radio show 10 or 11 years ago, and I finally tracked him down I think at a cafe in uh, Haskell, Texas. I think that's where I finally caught up with him. The old Hickman Cafe oh, yes, Motel. I, I, I've been there, absolutely. You've had those pies before. Yes, I, I, amen. <laughs> of course. And so uh, he said, yeah, he said, uh, I'm hunting hogs pretty heavy, so we're going to have to meet on the side of the highway. And we did, in the middle of nowhere, uh, one of those little farm-to-market roads in West Texas, I caught up with him, and we met on the side of the road and interviewed 
<clears throat> what a fascinating guy. It just He grew up in that old tough West Texas country. He's not a biologist. but No, but he put, had more practical experience than I'll, 20 biologists I can think of right now put together. I'm telling you, he's lived out there with those critters all of his life. Now, it's, explain to him. The, the, the listeners why they called him barefoot well when he was a kid he couldn't afford shoes they didn't have shoes didn't have much money and there was an old sheriff out there in the county where he grew up uh, that uh, would take him bird hunting with him but it, it wasn't to hunt it was to get him to retrieve birds uh, his dogs would point but not retrieve and he'd take off barefoot through them old sand burrs and, and we'd call them stickers and goat heads and barefoot he could handle it better than the dogs and retrieve those birds for uh, that old sheriff and his friends and he's had the nickname all of his life Barefoot Bob I've actually seen him go across some places I didn't want to go across (laughs) with my shoes on (laughs) yeah pretty fascinating guy he's I think he told me he'd been bitten by rattlesnakes four times and never been to a doctor He, he takes some Benadryl or Something and just keeps right and on just going. keeps right on going. Yeah, Gosh, I hadn't thought about him. I used to run into him every once in a while. I worked as a wildlife biologist there, based out of Abilene, and worked that Lower Panhandle country for a while, and, and yeah. over toward your old stomping grounds there, yeah. around uh, Mineral Wells and Santo, and yeah. all there on the on the Brazos River area. But uh, I'd forgotten all about him. To be honest with you, Barefoot Bob. Yeah, he he's. Uh, Still going strong out there, tra- really? trapping had, those hogs. Yeah, I have not been in that part of the country. That, that's still that area of the, the, out west of Dallas-Fort Worth, over toward uh, south of Lubbock and kind of north of Abilene, and particularly over around Albany area. Yeah. Albany, Thockmorton, Haskell, That rolling plains. That area right there. That's still one of my favorite parts of the state of Texas. Yeah, mine too. I've, I've walked so many miles behind bird dogs in that region of the country and and you know how fascinating it is larry when you're walking through the country and and just every step is a biology lesson every step is a wonder and a miracle uh looking down at the ground and uh, everything is just uh, it's a heartwarming and special place for me it, it really is and his history wise i mean that long oh, comanches yeah. raided that country for a long time and i used to look for artifacts all over and through that area I'd look at them and go oh my god look at that most instances, I put them back. Occasionally, yep. I had to deal with a landowner where if I'd picked one up, it was something real particular, beautiful, whatever. I'd mark a spot on a map, and I'd end up giving it to them. And, yeah. And uh, but that area was it was for years was covered by the Comanches. That was a big yeah. area. And oh yeah. Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, look at Fort Griffin, and was there something? I can't remember that. That I can't remember the numbers anymore. It's an ungodly amount of buffalo hides that were shipped oh, yeah. out Fort Griffin in one year. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And uh, the Wild West, boy, that was kind of epicenter of the Wild West. Out yeah, there. it really was. Doc Holliday spent some time there and yeah. Wyatt Earp. And I mean, all of that era of that late 1800s or after Civil War period of time. And just still a fascinating area. Yeah, it sure is. Big and, ranch country and, and, and some of the finest people in the world. And Yeah. And, and, that agriculturally and all that that country has changed a lot but really it ain't changed all that much you know there's not 
people aren't rushing out to West Texas. No, no. So, I mean, some of those areas out there, it's a curse and a blessing in that there's not a whole lot of yep. drinkable water underneath. Yeah. I'm sure in the years over over the years, you probably had a taste of some of that jippy water up there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and was proud to get it at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, you're exactly right. Yeah. And I've also tasted some of the sweetest well water ever uh, in some places out in West Texas. Oh, yes, sir. I remember hauling hay as a kid. Uh, we were not too far from Jacksboro, hauling hay out of Barton Chapel, south of Jacksboro. Yes, sir. And uh, <clears throat> the old farm that we were on, we hauled hay, and there was a, a rock pond out in the pasture. It was, it was rock. It almost looked like an old quarry, but it wasn't. It was a naturally occurring right. rock pond, spring-fed. Oh, my goodness. And you think that cool water didn't feel Ooh. good. <laughs> Do a bunch of skinny-dipping hay haulers about 6 o'clock in the evening, 105 degrees. And they had, uh, they had a well there at the house with some of the sweetest well water that I've ever tasted. It, it was just, it made a memory it was so good. Oh, man. You know, you mentioned hay hauling. Most people these days have no idea because when they see <laughs> hay, if they do see it, it's these big round bales. Yeah. And you're probably in that area that I was where it was small square bales. Yeah, or that's We right. call them square bales, but they were yeah. rectangular, and they'd be about 16 or so inches deep, 16 inches wide, 16 inches tall, about two and a half feet long, and they yeah. weighed anywhere from about 45 to about 80 or 90 pounds. Yeah, you know? and if it was alfalfa, they might go 100 pounds go a bale. Up, absolutely. And uh, alfalfa or Sudan didn't matter. It's a nickel <laughs> a bale. <laughs> it don't matter what it weighs. So you got it on high end when I started that. <laughs> We were getting paid, I think, one and a half cents per bale. Oh, mercy. Yeah. And, and, and proud of it. Kind of like that jip water. Proud to get it. <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> uh, hey, I want to ask you something. Uh, when you first started working in biology, wildlife and critters and agriculture and all the things you've uh, worked in all of your life, Dallas-Fort Worth looked a lot different then, didn't it? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I worked as a biologist for the state of Texas, and one of the things we did prior to all the satellite things that came out, we we uh, we would get in a little 152 Cessna with a county map, a large county map, sit there with a pencil, and we would fly adjacent grids across the county, and we would mark where the farms were, and we'd mark where the fields were, and yep. where the brush was, and the creek bottoms, and all those kind of things. And each one of these little towns in this Dallas-Fort Worth area, they were individual towns with a tremendous amount of spatial separation between them. And Isn't that something? It, nowadays, it is, it'd be easy to do, even from that kind of situation, sitting there with a pen, because all you have to do is one, draw one great big exactly. circle and say human habitation. Yeah. So it has changed absolutely dramatically in a lot of those areas. But <laughs> every time somebody talks about... Uh, that kind of thing. I think about sitting in that little 152 for days on end <laughs> with a map and a pencil yep. and drawing where the farms were and all these kind of things. Yeah. And then they started out some of the satellite mapping thing, and then we would take the satellite maps, go back, fly the same thing. Man, that's not a that's not a a pond. That's a field or something or not. Yeah. That kind of thing and kind of true those things. So yeah, uh, it's interesting it, work. It it, it it really was, but it is it is interesting in a. Uh, in a great way, I guess, in one way, but also in a very sad way to see now that where there used to be these small towns and it'd be 10, 15 miles between them or more. Yeah. Now it's all pretty much just human habitation. Yeah. We buried my cousin Jim 
a year ago or so, something like that. But Jim was kind of our family historian. Jim, yes, Jim Kinder, he was a rancher up in, uh, he's a cattleman in Jack County. Uh, and Jim, in all of his studies of the family and the history and the genealogy, tells me that when the Kinders first settled in Texas, one of the first spots they stopped was Dallas. And what is now downtown Dallas right. was the family farm way back when. The downtown. <laughs> and, and when the hunting and fishing played out, they sold out and moved. So far as I know, there's no valedictorians in the Kinder chain anywhere. We sold downtown Dallas for not very much, I, I would imagine. But we were one of those farms that was How in what is now downtown Dallas. I'll be darned. And we moved out to Jack County and Bryson and Graham, and, <laughs> and and we're still there. And you're still there. Yeah. And that's a fabulous area. Too, it is. As far as yeah. I'm concerned, but I'll be darned. But basically, downtown Dallas at one time. Yeah. Now people wouldn't even have a concept of having done farming or anything. <laughs> no, people, or hunting or, or fishing. Hunting or fishing that or was having a, a cow or a horse downtown. Exactly. Outside of what we used to call parades, which we don't seem to have yep. quite so much anymore. Not now, now for some reason. <laughs> Oh, me. But tell me a little bit more about your radio show, too. And, well, and, and when does it come on? Uh, and how can people... It's on Sirius Radio, obviously. Yeah. Sirius XL. But uh, how can they access it? Well, uh, there's lots of ways. Uh, Kinder Outdoors, K-I-N-D-E-R, like kindergarten. Kinderoutdoors.com is the website, and that'll, that'll tell you about all of our outlets. But uh, we started on one radio station uh, almost 11 years ago in Dallas-Fort Worth. And that's when you and I first met. Right. Yes. Uh, I, I said, Mr. Wysoon, will you <laughs> visit with me for my radio show? And boy, you you uh, were just so kind to help me out. You always have been. And and how could I not be to somebody whose last name is spelled K I N D E R? I had to be kinder than gender. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate it too. And. Since then, it's just my wife and I. We self-syndicate it and do all the work. We've grown to 140-some-odd stations oh my uh, across the country and Florida and Alaska and all over the place. Um, and uh, then Sirius XM, Channel 147, Rural Radio. Uh, we're on Saturday mornings at Saturday mornings. 9 a.m. on the East Coast, 8 a.m. Central. Uh, and then again, Sunday mornings at 8 on the East Coast, 7 a.m. Central. Uh, and and a lot of people will be familiar with uh, Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Oh yes, right. Uh, comes on right after us. Right. Uh, they, they've been over there for eight or nine years now. Just celebrated an anniversary, so we kind of lead into them, and we're really proud of that outdoor block. It's a, a pretty strong outdoor programming block with some some great guests, and that's that is that, that's a great block. And I guess Rob. Uh, Keck, yeah. Rob Keck is, is yep. still doing the uh, Bass Rob, Pro. Rob's doing the Bass Pro show, yeah. And uh, so we're neighbors. Uh, he's, they, you know, Johnny Morris got more money in the bank than Kinder Outdoors. Uh, but we're right behind you, Johnny. We're coming. <laughs> well, actually, you're right ahead of him. Oh, that's right. Hey, we we him. That's the only way I'm ahead of Johnny Morris. Uh, but, yeah, that we're, we're really uh, tickled about that leading into Bass Pro and and uh, their great outdoor show with Rob Keck. So. They, they really are. That is a fabulous organization. I had the great pleasure and honor of being on the Red Head Pro Hunting Team many years ago with yeah. Jerry Martin, uh, Walter Parrott. Oh, uh, yeah. Bob Folkrod and I, and then we brought Brenda Valentine on a little bit later. And yeah. Since that time, it, it, it expanded quite a bit. So going way back when, I had an opportunity to spend a fair amount of time around 
Miss Johnny and and uh, yeah. we used to his uh, Jerry Martin's brother had a restaurant. And it was walleye, uh, Wednesday walleyes or walleye Wednesdays. And no every kidding. Wednesday when we were up in that area there of uh, Springfield, Missouri, we'd all kind of gravitate to Jerry's brother and sit there and eat walleye and tell stories with Johnny and, and oh, come over man. and visit with us, you know, kind of thing. So What a great memory. Oh, man. It, yes, and, and what a great thing that story is up there. And, and the, the, of course, the, the chain of stories I have now with, in oh, yeah. with Cabela's. But, uh, you know, with the all the... The great growth that he has done there in terms of museums and things yeah. so it's just been absolutely fantastic the conservation work that he does oh, I mean gracious. it's truly from his heart it is he's it's, not it, doing anything for show no it, it's not he is, he is not that kind of a person no. I can tell you from personal experience he's absolutely committed to future generations like Dallas Fire Club we're yes. just tickled to be a, a part of them and, and, and associated with them but he's got that same kind of heart he does to to he build does. the future and preserve. And I, I don't know his daughter, but I do know I do know John Paul. And John yeah. Paul is very similarly same way same way as his dad in that respect. And of course, the the people that he has surrounded himself with over the years of building that company, they're the, of the same kind as well too. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's one of those groups that I am so proud for because of all the good work that they have done and continue yeah. to do. And what a history, you know. Oh, if, if you see a guy with a folding table set up in the back of a liquor store by the alley and then look down the road 40, 50 years at stores nationwide, worldwide, Bass Pro Shop. Are you kidding me? From a folding table in the back of a liquor store. He actually, his dad owned a, a liquor store called the Brown Derby. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's how he started out is selling fishing lures there. Yeah. You know, talked to his dad and let him sell fishing lures in the liquor store. Yeah. And, and his buddies would, would come by because he was a... He was a professional angler, BASS, one of the original right. BASS anglers. And uh, he'd go on the road and see this stuff that they didn't have back home. And he tried to get the local variety store to stock these things, and they wouldn't. Thank so goodness. He, <laughs> yep, that was the beginning of Bass Pro Shop. And he set up a table and ordered those things in himself. He said, I'll just sell them. And, he, and, he and he's still it, selling And them. he's still selling them, thank God. <laughs> Billy, you mentioned the DSC, Dallas Safari Club. I know that you're very much involved in, yeah. in numerous capacities, and particularly the one that's very dear to my heart is every year during the convention we have you as the MC and, and ringleader and all those other kind mm. of things on the DSC conservation stage, which is so much fun. That I mean, this last year was to me one of the best ones we had I agree that was Phil Mazzaro and, and uh, Jim Shockey and, and a few others of us up there and, and including uh, Granny Bullock yeah and, Granny uh, Bullard was there and, and so I uh, mean hopefully the way things are going right now the commission is again set for actually uh, Valentine weekend it starts yeah. on on the Thursday Friday Saturday and Sunday so that's the 11 12, through 13, 11 through 14 yeah so February what are your feelings about DSC after being around them for a while? How do you, how do you view DSC in the in the in the realm of conservation? And uh, you know how important is DSC to, to people out there? Well, whatever I say, people are going to listen and say, "Well, they sponsor his radio show." Of course, he's going to say that. So let me take you back before they oh, sponsored that's my what radio you guys show. Perfect. And I heard about Dallas Safari Club. I'm you know born and raised in North Texas. 
I uh, didn't know a thing about them, didn't know what they were about, but I knew they had a great big expo right. every year. And I was scared to buy a ticket, Larry. I, I was scared to buy a ticket because I'm an old country bumpkin from Palapena County. And that word safari scared me because somebody's going to ask me about my safari exploits or whatever. And I, that's, I don't fit in that crowd. And then one day I got my hands on a ticket and I went and I realized that these are frog giggers, whitetail hunters, crappie jiggers, uh, international hunters, and every one of them's got a smile on their face and a concern in their heart for the future of wildlife, wild places, and the people that are going to replace us to care for those things. And they genuinely, with low overhead, they keep it down raise millions and millions of dollars, vet to the nth degree where every one of those dollars is going to go and make sure it's going to have an impact to preserve our right to hunt, fish, shoot, uh, raise our kids up in a solid way that respects and knows how to handle the outdoors uh, and, and puts a water guzzler in a pasture in far west Texas where no human eyes will ever see it. It's so far out there but the sheep will benefit from it. Now, you're not doing that for show. No, if you're putting no, no. water guzzlers no. out in a crevice in West Texas, you know, the people aren't out lined up out there to look at that. <clears throat> so, no, their, their heart is right, and they have been since I got to know them. And that's what people need to do. Get past the safari name. Get past any questions you might have. Jump in feet first. Come buy a ticket to this the expo in February. Get to know these people. You're going to love it. You're Join. Back. Be a member. Be a member. And there is now a uh, base camp uh, membership, which is a $45 a year. You still get the, the Game Trails magazine. You get all the other information that comes along with it. It's not a boating membership, but uh, it's kind of a lead into maybe becoming a lifetime member or a boating yeah. member. But that $45 will get you one of the finest publications there is on the face of the earth these yep. days and you you will really be proud and, and glad that you, that you did so you mentioned the guzzler thing and one of the when you, as you were talking about that that is a fantastic program that the through the dsc foundation uh, which i proudly sit on board as yeah. a member now and you're right we vet an unbelievable number of requests for money to determine which is best, which falls within the the uh, uh, guidelines of what DFC represents. But that guzzler thing, it, it was set up primarily for sheep and, and uh, desert mule deer. Yeah. But I'd be willing to bet that there are more birds that visit that oh, guzzler. Oh, yeah. That, and so it, it's not just one of those things, well, we set it up. We did set it up for sheep. We did set it up for mule deer. But it's those songbirds all kinds of little animals the rabbits the rats the mice the blue quail the fox the quail yeah you know all those things really benefit from that water a whole lot more probably than what even the sheep or the uh, yeah and I think that's just shows a true love of wildlife is what it is and yeah those kind of programs are so very important in so many different ways when it comes right down to the perpetuation of wildlife the perpetuation of habitat and uh as you and I both know, I mean, true conservation is, is done through hunting, through yeah. wildlife conservation. Oh, yeah. If it weren't for the hunter and what Teddy Roosevelt and his oh, buddies those guys. put in, in motion 100-plus years ago, uh, we'd have no wildlife or wild places. I was in a meeting earlier this morning, and, of course, DSC is involved in so many different things through the foundation, and somebody brought up elephants and 
we got to looking, and there's data out there that shows, I think, 92% of the world's elephant population exists in those areas that are hunted. Right. Were it not for the hunting, those elephants there would not exist. Right. Even they would go away. So uh, if you look to see where the world's greatest amount of wildlife is, it's in Southern Africa, and it's in North America. Yep. And the two, the one common denominator there is hunters who care. Hunters who care. That's exactly right. There's a value on that white-tailed deer. Therefore, we buy a license and bullets to take that white-tailed deer to our freezer. But the money from our bullets and our license is going to aid a biologist to let us know how many we should legally take out so that we don't overpopulate or over overtake. Uh, and it's going to pay a game warden to hide behind a tree and arrest a guy that wants to shoot one at two in the morning. Right. Same thing in Africa. We've got a, uh, a liner that runs on the radio show now and then. Corey Mason uh, says, a helicopter flies in Africa with the DSC logo on it to remind these poachers who just dropped the hammer on them. That's right. And that makes me really proud. From a water guzzler in West Texas to a helicopter in, in Africa uh, and everything in between. You know, Dallas Safari Club's in touch. And, and spending their money right. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, as you well mentioned, don't let the elephant scare, scare you off. Don't let the word safari, because a lot of times I'm asked, I say, what, is, what does DSC stand for? And I say, yeah. Dallas Squirrel Hunters Club. <laughs> and they go, really? I go, no, no but, but they're, they're, we, have more, could. we have more squirrel hunters you know, than we did anything else. You mentioned the, the, the economic value the economic value in terms of yeah. revenue coming back to the state so that we can support the conservation from a state side with game warden, biologists, and all that kind of thing. But it also is important from a landowner perspective because if there is an economic value on wildlife on property that's mm -hmm. privately owned or federally owned or publicly owned, however you want to put it, when there's a value there, people respect the habitat. So they're yep. gonna they're not only gonna maintain the habitat, they're gonna try to improve the habitat. And that just like I was talking about with the guzzlers earlier, that equates to all wildlife yes. and the habitat itself. And of course here in Texas and a lot of the other states, were it not for the hunters, the outdoorsmen, the fishermen, some of these little towns wouldn't exist. No. They're just barely hey. hanging on and, and <clears throat> we talk about West Texas I've seen some of those little towns dry up and go completely away. And if you'll really take a look at the ones that totally shut down, uh, there's not real good hunting, there's no fishing, and the agriculture in that region is no good. No good. Uh, right. and, and those are the economic staples out there. But you have other little towns in the middle of West Texas that thrive because there's a bobwhite quail running around on the ground. And a guy is going to spend... A ton of money and so are all of his buddies on hotel rooms and cafe visits in the morning at lunch and again in the evening and every store in town they're gonna buy everything in town for four months out of the year it's four month season on quail right and that's gonna hold that town over for a year there's a lot of reasons that you see the banner in those towns across the roadway going in there welcome. Says, welcome hunters yes sir <laughs> yeah you know in South Dakota that's another uh, that's another one. Uh, I hunt up there every year. Right. And I go up there a couple of times, fish once, and, and go back and hunt pheasants once. And those charming little old South Dakota towns that wouldn't be there if it weren't for a pheasant hunter. Not a pheasant, but a pheasant 
hunter. And the pheasant hunter wouldn't be there if it wasn't for that pheasant. So there's the value on that animal. There's the value about. right there. And they come from all over the world, Larry, oh, to yes, hunt sir. South Dakota pheasant. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's still on my list, and you know I've talked about that. But yeah. One of these days, I've, I've hunted pheasant in, in some of the other states, but not yet South Dakota. So. Well, hey, we'll put an end to that. We'll get up there, and Lake Oahe's right up there where I. <laughs> oh, really? Where I uh, hunt, and we catch some pretty nice walleye out of there. Too, oh my so. God! To me, as we've talked, crappie, walleye, and halibut. Yeah. Are my three favorites of all. Don't let. Don't forget that humble little brim. Now he's pretty good uh, too. You know what? Well, the problem is, is generally I'm fishing for brim with with Jim Zumbo, and uh, okay. Zumbo is when it comes to bluegills and brim. <laughs> He hoards those. Yeah, he, he really does. He'll he'll feed you something else, but he ain't about to feed you some of them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you ever spent much time on Caddo Lake? I have caught pickerel on Caddo Lake. No kidding. That, but that's the only fish I've caught. And to answer your question, the answer is unfortunately no. I didn't know they had pickerel in Caddo Lake. Yeah, this is a long, long time. Long ago. time ago. A little I'll chain pickerel that was about yeah, I'll probably about that. ten inches long. Huh? <laughs> we 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 go out there, you know, on the Texas Louisiana border and and uh in May of the year and, and go out there to catch those great big red ear uh brim. Boy, they're good eating. And we get back in that old that's like stepping back in in time, you know, you just keep waiting for Bigfoot step out of there. When when do you try to do that? One month. Well, they'll uh, they'll bed up uh, two or three times during the summer, during the heat of the year. Uh, they could be bedded up out there right now, but typically in May, you know, they're gonna they're gonna come bed. And if you can find a bed of those big old red ears, there might be three to four or five hundred of them on this great big. Really? Bed. Oh my word! And you talk about more fun than a pickup bed full of monkeys. Now it. It is fun. You get out there with the kids and the grandmas, and and uh, every time you dip a worm, it goes under, and you've got another one. And there's an old store there, at Uncertain Texas, the town Uncertain. Uncertain Texas. Yes, I've heard of it. I don't think I've been to Uncertain yet. <laughs> Johnson's Ranch Marina and the old building there. Billy Carter owns it, and and uh, he's been guiding out there all of his life. But the old store goes back to the 1800s. Oh my gracious! Yeah, and it looks like it. It's one of those idealistic. Oh, how cool! It's like an old painting. Yeah, and uh, the Spanish moss hanging from all the trees. Yes, sir. Uh, it's just a. It's a cool old place. Go in there and rent a flat bottom boat and a five horse motor and, <laughs> and go catch those. <laughs> go catch them. Yeah, darn, a lot of fun. I don't want to impose in, in, in or invite, but I've, I've got a friend that likes to catch fish. Uh huh. Yeah. But he also likes to clean them. Oh yeah, and I'm talking about Jim Zumbo. Yeah, I mean, Zumbo. You start, clean, you start cleaning fish, and he'll push you out of the way. Nice elbow. You really, he likes to clean them. Yeah. Does now does Jim clean them or fillet them? Both. Both. Okay. It, so, it will depend on the size. Yeah. Okay. But absolutely, I, we were he and and uh, uh, Rick Lambert Miranda. Yeah. And you, yeah. You run into Rick numerous times. The three of us hunting fish whenever we can together, and we were somewhere. In East State, maybe Lake Tawakini, uh catching crappie. Yeah. And we met a gentleman who was just totally enamored with Jim. I mean, he'd yeah. been reading him since he was, you know, in, before he could read, probably when he just looked at <laughs> pictures. Yeah. And he saw us cleaning fish and said, Oh my God, Mr. Zumbo, you can't clean those fish. You need to let me clean those fish. So Jim reluctantly backed off. 
and the guy started pulled out his electric his electric knife and started filleting. Hey! <laughs> and he was leaving way too yeah. much too much flesh on those bones. And I'm actually, you know, Jim's over. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm gonna do this. But I'm gonna hey, do this. I gotta tell you a story on Jim. I'd love to hear it, Jim. I hope you're listening. I'll make sure you will. <laughs> yeah, make sure he's listening. Uh, a couple of summers ago, uh, we were uh, a bunch of us in Wichita, Kansas, for a big hoorah get together uh, summit type deal, and right. we're all supposed to be in these various classes during the day. And uh, I get there and I look around the room, and Jim's not there. Supposed to be there, but he's not there, and he's not at lunch, and he's not at the afternoon sessions. And then supper time rolls around, and there's Jim. Over there, and I and I go talk to him, and Jim, getting along okay? Yeah, doing good. Boy, you ought to see the big ice chest full of bluegill I caught today. Instead of going to the summit, he was he thought he was Tom Sawyer, you know. He, he was there with Michael Pierce, who's a friend of our of ours okay. years back, and Michael. He, I was with Jim right before he went there, and I said, Jim, are you going to go do everything during the daytime? He goes. You didn't use the cuss words every once in a while, uh, yeah. but it's appropriate. Yeah. And I guess he felt that was an appropriate time to remind me that he was going down there fishing with bluegill <laughs> and he, well, he was going to do any socializing and be after the fishing was over. Yeah. He was sending me pictures of those fish. And I'm going, <laughs> he was showing me at oh, supper oh time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think it was a three or four day summit and he never made a single no, no, meeting. No, no. <laughs> he, he, he was loading up. When, I was up there with him right before he left there and he was loading up. Up. I can't remember how many. That's times. right. He told me you'd just been yeah. at his house spending some time. Yeah, we'd been up there, spent a little time, and did a little fishing and watching it snow and rain in the summertime. Yeah. Uh, well, Mr. Billy, tell folks, we're, I want to come back and we'll revisit this another time. Yeah, we some, got, some, some, more we got too many stories to tell here. Yeah. <laughs> tell everybody again when, when your show is on okay. and how they can get in touch with you and to you learn bet. more about it as well, too. You bet. Real easy. Just Kinder, K I N D E R, Kinder Outdoor. Doors.com, and that'll give you the times uh, for all the stations across the country. And like you, our podcast is out there. Wherever you get your podcast, we're there. And those places will send you a free weekly download if you ask them for it. So, uh, yeah, it's kinderoutdoors.com, and that'll tell you about Sirius XM and everything. Fantastic. I just want to remind everybody, too, we mentioned Dallas Safari Club. If you want to learn more about DSC, you can go to www.biggame.org, and you can learn a whole lot of things and maybe be a little entertained a little bit. Billy, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I can't wait for us getting back together again. I know. I'm looking forward to it. I probably ran you a little long with my long-winded stories here, but... I look forward to it, too. And I look forward to seeing you on that stage in February 11th through the 14th at DSC Expo. We will be there. Thank you so very much, Billy. Thank you, buddy. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callness Calls Made. Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas Raised Hunting Products, The Scent Gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com, the Hunter Conservations' website. 